on most nights when it was warm enough to take a stroll. The caress of jazz music could be heard floating up and down Springwood Avenue here in Asbury Park, New Jersey. And although it may have been located on the proverbial other side of the tracks, Springwood Avenue's clubs, such as the Orchid Lounge and Leo's Turf Club, gave jazz listeners a place to venture. In an homage to this month's theme of African-American art and artists, this week on Heirloom Historical, we're talking about the African-American community of nightclubs and their famous artists here in Asbury Park. I'm your host, Leslie Scherenbeck. Come on and play along. Springwood Avenue is located on the west side of Asbury Park, on the other side of the railroad tracks, and it still serves today as the main thoroughfare of travel between the neighboring towns of Neptune and Asbury. It's the gateway between the two. The history of this area dates back to the founding of Asbury Park and James Bradley. Black workers, in particular, moved into this area for the tourist industry. They were often used as personal servants, they cleaned hotel rooms, they maintained the boardwalk, and they held a lot of other service industry jobs, not just here in Asbury, but also in the neighboring community of Ocean Grove. And the black community ended up settling in an area of town known as the West End. They would go on to establish homes, schools, and churches, and even began hosting an annual seashore jubilee back in the 1880s, as noted in the Asbury Park Press, for black tourists from Newark, Jersey City, Philadelphia, and New York. But the reason why the West Side was established as an all-black community at one point was due to the sad segregatory practices that were put into place here in town by, you guessed it, its founder and Methodist follower, James Bradley, who really was a complex, dynamic historical figure. And a lot of people don't realize is that even though New Jersey was a northern state, if you've listened to past podcasts, you see that we have a very tumultuous history with race relations here, even dating back to 1804, when we were supposedly getting rid of enslavement, that ideology bleeds over after the Civil War as well, and into the Reconstruction period, and the subsequent years to follow. Jim Crow, black codes, um, segregatory practices simply weren't something that was a silo in the South. They came up here to the North and a lot of tourists and peoples that were living in New Jersey, particularly along the shore, they followed suit with having those laws and ideas put into place. Bradley actually on in 1887, had put on the books that he had restricted black citizens of Asbury from the beaches, from the bathing houses, from the pavilions, and also from the promenades. And this was a huge shock to the black community. Um, They wanted to be here. They wanted to be a part of the beach lifestyle. They wanted to be a part of the town in and of itself that they were serving and that they were working for. And thanks to a lot of strong ministers that were a part of the churches in Asbury Park, they actually had this law overturned in 1890. But the sentiments and feelings towards creating separate spaces based on race would continually pervade the citizens of Asbury Park all the way up until the 1970s when the riots happen. So the West Side and Springwood Avenue, or the Avenue as it was known back then, would develop and grow with the promotion of Black-owned businesses, shops, hair care, stores. There were candy stores, 
barber shops, a dress shop, um, market for fresh fruits, a department store, drug stores, and there were restaurants of every culture on Springwood. There were Chinese restaurants, Cuban confectionaries, bakeries, there were pool rooms, restaurants, and even a tea room where ladies would socialize. And these were all Black-owned, Black-operated, and Black-supported, which I just think speaks to the beautiful solidarity in the community to survive and thrive in a time that was often fraught with very subversive racial segregatory practices. And at night, Springwood Avenue would come alive again. It would come alive with the various different groups of musical performers that in any given decade would be performing in one of the many music establishments that were on Springwood. Springwood attracted some of the largest stars in blues, jazz, and R&B music to come and play the night away. The train station in Asbury is located just a short distance from Springwood, so it made it very easy for acts to arrive on their way in between New York and Philadelphia. Black performers that were a part of musical acts in the Jim Crow era would often tour on something called the Chitlin Circuit. Performance venues on the Chitlin Circuit were typically Black-owned and Black-operated, and it was a network of venues that supported Black artists, but it also supported a safe space for the African-American community to go and to listen to music and dance and have a good time. They were really instrumental also in providing major acts like Billie Holiday, B.B. King, Sam Cooke, and Otis Redding a jumpstart on their careers. And typically, on the Chitlin Circuit, you would play to a black audience, and it was nicknamed the Chitlin Circuit, and Chitlin Circuit master musician Bobby Rush will tell you. Yes, Chitlins are cuisine of the black community. It was made up of hogs intestines, but sometimes artists would have to be paid in food for their musical appearance. And in turn, they could take those chitlins or burgers, whatever they were paid in and sell them to make a little bit of coin for themselves. It really wasn't a money-making grab the Chitlin Circuit, but it was super important in Black arts and Black culture because the they were able to preserve the music. They were able to experiment, try new types of music, and also give some of these wonderful artists their start uh, in their careers. So one of the first places that I saw spring up in my research on Springwood Avenue was a place called the Rosalind Ballroom. And that was originally located on the corner of Springwood and Atkins. Knowing that Springwood was on the Chitlin Circuit and that here in Asbury Park, we had this vibrant community of music, arts, culture, really up until the riots of the 1970s fascinated me. And the more research and digging I did, the more that I couldn't believe just some of the stars that graced this area. Now, it makes sense because we are in between New York and Philly, but um some of these were repeat performers. They would come back year after year um, to play on Springwood for black audiences. And one of the first places that I saw spring up in my research was the Roseland Ballroom. That was originally located on the corner of Springwood and Atkins. Now, originally, it comes up in the newspapers as Lafayette Hall. 
but its owner, Mr. Reese Dupree, who owned the building, remodeled it in 1923, and he calls it the Roseland Cabaret, where you can dance on the $1,800 dance floor under a ceiling of oriental lights. By 1929, Duke Ellington and his band played there twice. So I can just imagine the space and time and place for um, Ellington to be there. Now, sadly, that building was destroyed in a fire. Another building, I'm doing a little more research, which I just thought was the, the artists that came here were just, it was insane. Cuba's was opened in the 1930s. Uh, it was on Springwood, and it had a back room named the Aztec Room, where performers would go to play. They had a bar in the front, they had a nightclub in the back. And these are big name performers. They had Billie Holiday, Ike and Tina Turner, Little Richard, and the Four Tops all at one time graced the stage of the Aztec Room at Cuba's. The State Ballroom, which was closed by the 1950s on Springwood, Count Basie played here uh, in the 1940s, along with Dizzy Gillespie's orchestra. So in that time period of the Roaring Twenties, it's safe to say that Springwood certainly was roaring. Later on in the 1950s and 60s, more establishments would open up. Uh, one of my personal favorites, because even though it no longer is standing, I can just imagine the decor in this place probably was fabulous. The Orchid Lounge opened in 1965 by a gentleman by the name of Odyssey Moore, and it featured performers like George Benson, who was one of the top six jazz guitarists in the country. It was all beautiful purple and black on the inside with a horseshoe bar and the stage that you know would entertain all of these artists way into the night. And most notably, is Leo's Turf Club. Now, Leo's has a very special story. It's located at 1200 Springwood Avenue. That's its now permanent home location. And it's still around today. Music was such an integral part of the Turf Club, and it drew listeners from as far away as Newark, Philadelphia, to come and see who was playing there. Uh, the noted historian and journalist Daniel Wolf, whose book I'll link in the description, noted that Leo's had people come through, such as Stan the Manhunter. He was the organist that played with John Coltrane and others. Another staple at Leo's was Illinois Jacket. He was a saxophonist who was famous for his work with the Lionel Hampton Band. And Lloyd Sims' Fabulous Untouchables came through with a young saxophonist called Clarence Clemens. You might have heard of him, the big man himself, who would later go on to fame with Bruce Springsteen. The Turf Club went through different owners and even different names. But the cool part about the Turf Club is that it survived the riots of the 1970s. And even though there were many attempts to rejuvenate, finally, it ended up shuttering its doors in 2000. But the great part about Asbury Park and the citizens and people that live here is that an active community didn't want to see the place fall to ruin. And so a restorative effort is taking place with the Asbury Park African American Music Project. I'll link their website below. 
They're working very hard to get grants to help to attempt to restore the club for a musical venue to be utilized in Asbury. And very coolly, they are also interviewing some of the people that would have played at the turf uh, that remember going down the avenue and hearing that music. Um, And they have a lot of wonderful oral histories, photographs and pictures that you can really get a vibe for what the avenue would have looked like back in the day. Very famously, the Turf Club was in the press not too long ago uh, when Bruce Springsteen was photographed outside of it by Danny clinch for a promo piece. Springsteen, I believe, even donated some money to the APAMP project. And currently, as of right now, 2024, they have redone the roof and stay tuned for the return of their summer concert series, Tuesdays at the Turf. And it's also a part of Monmouth County's Black Heritage and History Trail. So it still exists. Now, many of the jazz clubs and establishments aren't there anymore, but I always like to say, if you sit back, close your eyes and listen, you can hear that music permeate Springwood Avenue as it did all those years ago. And the next time that you visit Asbury Park, take a drive over to the west side, roll down the avenue, as all these musical greats once did to help create and preserve the importance of black arts and culture. So that's it for me this week on Heirloom Historical. I'm your host, Leslie Sharon Beck. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you have any ideas or you want to reach out and say hello, email us at heirloomhistorical at gmail.com. We'll be back next Monday, wrapping up our series on African-American history and culture here in the Garden State and other places as well. Till next week. <laughs>